What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to They Call This a Movie, testing the strength of friendships one terrible movie at a time. And we are here with a special episode. I am joined by Dan Aquino. Say hello, Dan. Hey, everybody. And we did something for the first time ever. We did an interview. And uh, we interviewed Joseph Mignon. Uh, he's a screenwriter. And we've covered two of his films. We've covered uh, Vampire's Kiss. You might know that as that crazy-ass Nicolas Cage vampire movie where he has all the memeable faces. And we also covered Motorama. And Motorama was the one that actually spurred us to reach out to him and talk to him. And he was gracious enough to uh, give us his time. So, Dan, what did you think about the interview? I loved it. I thought it was very insightful. And it was... It was just interesting to actually speak to a, you know, screenwriter because not many people know this. Uh, Anthony and I have written um, a, a screen, not a screenplay, a, a pilot for a TV show. And it's it was just fascinating to actually get inside the head of someone who has not only written screenplays, but had them directed by a, a big name in the industry, some, someone that everybody knows. So, yeah, and he was a very nice man. Uh, he, I was very surprised when they reached out and I, when he reached out and I thought it was going to be one of those, you know, basically, hey, why are you talking about my movie like this? You know, like kind of <laughs> defending himself. But he has a, a great sense of humor. And when he broke down the movies, it, it really put them in a new light. And I am very grateful for it. Yeah, uh, I was fascinated to hear him talk about kind of his inspiration for both of them because they both kind of came from very interesting places. And he was he was very gracious enough to, you know, kind of really at, at points get real with us in terms of, you know, what kind of inspired him, especially with Vampire's Kiss. He he got pretty personal and, you know, didn't I don't I hope we didn't feel like he didn't didn't feel like we were prying too much um, because we asked very general questions. But uh, it was I was appreciative that he was able to kind of share that kind of stuff with us. Yeah, that was really, again, that, that goes into how insightful it was. And a lot of people don't understand what goes into the writing process. And there's a lot of pain and a lot of emotion that can can really birth something so unique. And you, you, from the outside, if you see a movie like Vampire's Kiss, you probably think like, oh, you know, it was just, you know, it's a silly movie and Nicolas Cage is going crazy. But once you listen to the interview, you'll see what was coming out of of Joe in the writing process. And it's it was kind of beautiful in a way. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah, I thought it was. It sounded like that movie. Like of all the movies that that became like this, this like I, we said, like this such such a memed uh, movie with you know, Nicolas Cage's faces, where it's it was written as a moment of catharsis where he's you know working out on his own kind of I don't want to say demons, but it just kind of like his own issues that he was going through at the time. And so it was very it was very fascinating to see. And and there's you coming from an advertising background where I'm not in the product in the creative standpoint, you, I see similar things where he, he is talking about in Motorama because vampires kiss on one hand was what was in the screenplay wound up on screen. And which was fascinating because that you never hear that happening, but on Motorama, he talked about a lot of the stuff that, uh, that he had to lose. And I've, I've seen that come. Uh, people have to be faced with that on, on a, professional level just being in advertising and they 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 always say kill your darlings i see creatives who fall in love with these ideas and then the uh the client comes back and just hacks it to pieces so it was interesting to hear him you know talk about similar things that happened on on a script that he worked on which was a little more creative than say like advertising where advertising point number one is to sell um but to see that happens even in when you when you're trying to make a movie is interesting yeah and Kind of going back to how uh, before I was saying that we wrote the pilot, we always joked about, you know, if we were ever lucky enough to have it get picked up, we would be like at the beck and call of whomever (laughs) was distributing it. Like if someone called us in the middle of the night, like, hey, you know, on page 13, uh, such and such character is is doing this. We want to do we want him to do this instead. But yeah, you know, that's fine. Whatever. It's a vocal point of the. uh a focal point of the of the 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 episode but i don't care it's getting picked up uh (laughs) but i think that's what really separates us from uh not saying that we're not artists but like actual writers you know what i mean sure where they that's their baby like you were saying and it's painful and i and once you listen to the interview you'll see and you'll hear the the emotion that joe is putting out there with how you know Motorama? A lot of the stuff that he cared about was kind of axed, and yeah, I, that was really interesting to hear. How even after all these years, it's still something he remembers so vividly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, one other thing, uh, and then we'll get into the interviews. What I found interesting was we kind of we kind of pressed him to see to ask for an answer to the end of Motorama, and he wouldn't give it to us, which I, I found fascinating because he. Uh, as you'll listen to the interview, he he felt like that wasn't the point, more or less. I don't want to spoil anything. The the interview is great. Uh, he was a great great to listen to. Uh, it was a fun time to have, and I'm very appreciative that he took the time to to speak with us. Um, uh, before we get into the interview, just let you know if you want to check out some of Joe's stuff. Uh, open hyphen g dot us is his website. You could go on there and take a look. Uh, he talks about also a new project at the end of this uh, interview. He talks about a new project he's working on, which you might find some Kickstarter stuff that comes up towards uh, maybe uh, in the future. Uh, so we'll be sure to let you guys know about it once we hear anything about it. I'm sure he'll let us uh, let us know. But for the time being, open-g.us. Check out some of his stuff there. And uh, I guess without any further ado, let's go into the interview with Joe Minion. 
He is the screenwriter behind the Martin Scorsese film After Hours, as well as Vampire's Kiss and Motorama, two films which we have covered on this podcast. And now he's been gracious enough to take some time and talk with us. I want to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Joseph Mignon. Mr. Mignon, thank you so much for speaking with us today. My pleasure. Thanks uh, for having me. Uh, so usually when we, since we've been in these after times, as we'll call it, uh, we always start each podcast with what we've been watching to try and keep us sane. So first, right off the bat, what's uh, keeping you sane right now? Um, well, does it have to be watching or could it be reading? Whatever, yeah, whatever is you're keeping up, keeping you occupied. I'm actually, uh, it's funny. I'm, <laughs> I happen to have this is a book that I'm reading. Um, that's really good. Um, because it's you know it's about movies, so it's appropriate. Um, <laughs> it's really interesting. Uh, this is uh, uh, life, movies, media, and the mythology of the '60s by Jay Hoberman, who um, you know, uh, used to be a, a regular film critic for the Village Voice. And, you know, I would read the Village Voice every week and him and Andrew Saris. And he's a really good, really interesting writer who is very interested in politics. He's, he sort of tracks um, politics and sees the sort of reflections in movies of the politics of the time that they're made. And he's very good at that. Um, and um, I had recently read another book by his called Make My Day. He's it's a there's a trilogy that that he's put out. Um, I think the Dream Life is the first one, and then the Phantom something. Ugh, I can't believe I'm forgetting. Uh, um, let me see if it says here. It's something. The uh, the Phantom something is another one that also uh, is. Uh, is it the Army of not, Phantoms? Uh, that's it. That's it. Yes. And um, and then this one and uh, they're all like different chunks of periods of American history and the movies. And uh, yeah, the Phantom Menace. Did you guys read that or did you how do you know that? Yeah, I just did a quick search. <laughs> oh. All right. So you I was do curious that now. to see um, what. So I'm reading. Uh, yeah. No, anyway, so I, I like he's very intelligent and I'm, I'm finding this the one make my day, which was uh, specifically about the Reagan era movies that came out during the Reagan era was really interesting and you know he really gets into the weeds with um the political goings on at the time and he's doing likewise now this is the sort of it starts out pre-kennedy and i'm sort of now in the beginning of the camelot years um and uh, it's really fascinating stuff and um so that's i've been so i've been reading jay Hoberman and i um watching actually um, a whole bunch of you know good old classics last night i watched the third man by carol reed great um tonight i'm, I'm gonna probably watch the spirit of the beehive which is this great spanish film um Interesting. and i've been you know i i've been sort of uh uh on a kick of uh you know uh, i just got a whole bunch of old dvds old, old movies from the library and um you know, I've been I've been writing mostly. I've been really immersed. I only finished like a week ago, and so um, that's been, you know, what I've been immersed in recently. Just is writing, um, and uh, not that you know, just a little reading before I like maybe go to sleep. So, um, gotcha. and you know, catching these these great movies, just just all movies that we've all heard of um, lately. <laughs> How about you yeah. guys? Anything? I don't. I'm I'm out of touch with the, the you know. I, I don't really even know what's going on um, in current cinema right now. I, I'm not I'm not really paying attention. I mean, nothing really right now. <laughs> uh, no. I, I'm like too yeah. embarrassed to say what I've been watching because you just named classics, and I was like, oh, I just watched Godzilla: King of the Monsters, and like, yeah, it's, it doesn't quite match up. Yeah. Well, it's not a comedy. 
edition. You know, I, I, you know, before I was watching these classics, you know, I was watching the uh, the Dirty Harry series, which, you know, those films are not exactly uh, Ingmar Bergman's The Seventh Seal, but I get a kick out of them. I, I, I think they're, I think they're very enjoyable. You know. Yeah, I saw that they all just um, whatever. Your mood, like, your moods for certain things. Yeah. Go ahead. I was just gonna say that they all. I saw that they all just wound up on like HBO Max. Um, that's something that uh, HBO Max yeah. has a pretty excellent like TCM kind of curated uh, bunch of classics that I've went through like movies I haven't seen in like 10 years or so like Casablanca and uh, Cool Hand Luke I watched the other day which uh, you know it's fun to get it back into those movies that I watched as a film student and haven't haven't gone back to but yeah uh, yeah that's awesome that you you've found the time to write I'm sure you know. I'm sure you uh, spend a lot of your time writing. Uh, what is, you know, t- talk to us a little bit about the early years of you writing. Like, where, what, what got you to start writing? Was there any any certain film or filmmaker that was like what clicked in your head? Uh, that's an easy question answer for me. It's Grown Polanski. Um, was a big, big, um, important filmmaker to me. Really important filmmaker to me. Um, I had I had started film school with a teacher named Arnie Baskin, who it was his first year at and teaching at NYU. That's where I started film school, actually. He, and he had just gotten back from um, Paris, where he was working as an editor. And he had you know, been living in Paris, and he was very European head, very influenced by, by European cinema. And I feel very fortunate our class had him, because what he brought in to our class was... Um, Polanski shorts, the films that, that Polanski made, the Woats Film School. Um, and I had an immediate, um, it, it resonated with me. Um, of course, I knew some of his features already. Um, but then when I saw his shorts, I saw a, like a, 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 an aesthetic that was already developed in film school, like a, a sensibility that was like, you know, a little more childlike and innocent, but um, I was like, wow. I mean, this is like really interesting how he was already sort of um, had a voice. Um, so, so anyway, um, there was a film of his that had come out in 76. I, I think about his, his films. I think they're very, they're very dark. You have to, you know, and they're, they're, they're sort of like, there's a psychological um, component to them. Like, and you're, you're, they're very, very, um, um, you know, the world view is, is very, is, is pretty dark, you know, and, and I gravitated to that. I mean, I, I've always had a kind of very dark sensibility and, and, you know, if anyone could um, use film in a way that gets into the human psyche, psychology, I mean, that was even better. And he was doing that, you know, and um, so anyway, one film in particular, I, that was, I was crazy about was The Tenant, which actually was not really his most successful film. Um, Le Locateur. In um in French and uh, he was in it he, he stars in it that film I I saw so many times um I I was crazy about that film I so you know it was just like all film students loved like tax Taxi Driver and of course that's a it's a great film no disputing that but the way other people love Taxi Driver was the way I love The Tenant I almost thought they were kind of almost like uh, comparable in that like in Taxi Driver you have this kind of alienated character in an urban environment who explodes. In The Tenant, you have an alienated character in an urban environment who implodes. And uh, it doesn't matter almost. It's almost like which, whichever way you go, out, exploit or imploding, you know, it's the, the director's kind of like, you know, 
like sort of pushing it to that inevitable climax. And um, I like the way the tenant mixed humor with the uh, utter unbelievable uh, despair and this the sense of alienation. Um, it was set in Paris, you know. So anyway, that's that's the quick answer to your question. That 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 film I was crazy about. It. I would try to turn people on to. You know, I mean, nobody really I know ever embraced it as much as me. Interestingly, years later, um, you know, Polanski came out with uh, an autobiography, and the part that he gets to the tenant, he was almost like apologizing for making the tenant. Like he just felt like, oh, I learned. You know, the films I didn't wasn't a big hit paramount did it it was the film he did after chinatown and paramount produced it but it didn't do well and he said oh that's the last time i ever mix comedy and horror those things should be separate i remember reading that thinking no what are you talking about that's like (laughs) amazing to combine those things and you did it so well um so anyway um that that got me interested in trying to kind of uh you know write things that were sort of psychological and like you know some sort of claustrophobic quality um i was also very impressed but you know like here's this guy i guess i guess because i was in film school and he had gone to film school and then i was very impressed with the film called repulsion and you know of course he made this like apartment trilogy repulsion rosemary's baby and and the tenant but out of those the most scaled down is repulsion and i remember like you know wow um this film all takes place in one apartment basically repulsion pretty much mostly like 80 percent. and it's a it's a real full meal i mean it's man is that a is that a wonderfully made film i mean impeccably made and it was encouraging it was just like oh you know you don't have to be david lean have like a cast of thousands and have epic or even something even, you know, a fraction of that to make a real movie. I mean, this is a real movie. This is a real full meal as far as just the, the stuff it gives an audience um, that could compete, you know, as far as, you know, it being a, a, you know, a legitimate, you know, dramatic film. But it's all done like in an apartment. But it's so, so incredibly well directed. Um, it was very inspiring. Um, I'm still very impressed by that film. That's a great it's a great film and there his style is full blown by then you know um but boy that's a well-made film just uh, his his sense of increasing the insanity and and that that whole thing that he started earlier on of, of creating a you know a macabre like an inner world so that was that was very interesting to me um i gravitated toward those, that kind of material but you know i i, I generally i'm not i'm not a big horror film fan but i um there's a few of horror films that I really love that are right up there to, for like for like favorite films and and he made two of them Repulsion and Rosemary's Baby I guess I guess I'd throw the tenant in there although that one is it's not exactly the classic that Rosemary's Baby and um, but who cares I mean the tenant right. spoke to me so um anyway I forgot I guess I guess I answered your question there are many other films of course um I'll just I'll, I'll just mention I'll mention one other film that that's very impactful um, actually, I'm going to mention this because I, th- I know you're going to ask me about Motorama later. Um, so there's a film called Oh Lucky Man. I don't know if you guys know this film. Yep, I, I love it. Yeah. Uh, it's it's uh, the film that Malcolm McDowell did with Lindsay Anderson after Clockwork Orange. Um, I just totally love this film. I still do. And uh, that that actually was was a sort of a influence on Motorama, strangely. Um, I really love that film. Um and it's again one of these films I would try to tell people you got to see this film and 
um, hardly anyone ever saw it. And I would I'd try to push people to see it, but it's just, it's one of those guilty pleasures. I'm not guilty about it. It's a great film. <laughs> um, so, so that, that, you know, there are of course many others, but they're probably more like, Oh, everyone knows those films, but not that many people are as crazy about the tenant or a lucky man. I'm sure there are many. I, I just don't <laughs> happen to run into them, or, you know? Um, and, uh, I was, of course, I was reading a lot and, um, you know, but, um, I, you know, I, I could go on and on. I don't want to, I don't want to blather on too much, but, um, that those, that those stick out really, they're very salient in my memory. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, when, I, I saw it yeah, so many times. Yeah. Sure. When right. you, uh, when you were in film school, were you always just gravitating towards, I want to be a screenwriter or is it like, kind of like everybody else, you want to be the, the Roman Polanski, you're going to write your, and you're going to be the filmmaker and you're going to get final cut on it. Or is it, or were you just really didn't want to be the guy telling everybody what to do? Were you more screenwriter or, or director really? Well, I, I wanted to, I did direct my films in film school and, um, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I, I, I actually primarily wanted to be doing that. Um, I, I only got into writing. I had this friend at NYU. Um, he, he was Chinese, and he, uh, you know, he wasn't that good with English. But he was a, he was in my class, and he sort of kept kept after me to write his movie. He said, you know, please, please, like, you know, I, I just don't have the command of the English language, and I didn't want to do it. I, I was, I'm not really interested. But I don't know. He kept after me, so you know, I caved in, and I, I wrote I wrote I wrote his movie called Playland. Um, it actually, actually, you know, he had a little run with festivals and all that, I remember. So anyway, um, and then I, um, then I transferred to Columbia um, Film School, which um, was known for um, its really good writing teacher. Um, so I guess I was making up my mind that that's, that's certainly one, something that I wanted to sort of push the pedal on. Um, um, but I never wanted to not, not direct, I, I, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's a director's medium. If I, I don't have any children, if I had a son or daughter, I would tell them to not be just a screenwriter. I would actually, especially now, I, I would actually encourage someone to, to pick up the camera because you can now, I think just, just being a screenwriter, it could be obviously, um, you know, it could be quite remunerative if you get in that in that in that little circle there. Obviously, um, I, I never was. I never I never met my sensibility. But, you know, I, we all know that there are screenwriters who buy big houses in Bel Air. But um, as far as, you know, control your stuff and express yourself, I don't know if it's I think it's it's got a little a lot of frustrations. Um, you know, obviously, someone like Charlie Kaufman is, a, is an is an exception. A voice that's very distinct and uh, you know there are others but um anyway no i i um you know you just sort of get into a kind of groove um it's very hard to uh explain if you haven't been through it um how how you sort of uh you know certain directions you you go into you're, you sometimes you don't have any choice or you sort of you know you sort of comes down to well is this going to not get made if i insist on on directing and sometimes it's good to I think, you know, insist on that if that's what you want to do. But on the other hand, you could, you could wait a long time to get, to get people to back you. So, you know, um, anyway, blah, blah. Um, yeah. I, uh, but directing was my thing. Oh, I, I, another, another important director to me, actually, and I, I'm, I just, I'm just remembering 
is Werner Herzog. Um, I saw his films for the first time when I was at NYU. And that was one of those experiences where I'm like, you know, um, that's that, that's the thing to do. You know, this this guy's amazing. I, I'm still enthralled by by his his films, his voice going on for decades. Um, so I remember there was a student that came into our class and he said, oh, there's this really great documentary playing at the Bleecker Street Cinema, which doesn't exist anymore. And it's called um, Werner Herzog. I am my films. And. You know, the new German cinema was kind of out now then, and, and it had hit the, the shores of, you know, the United States. And Fassbender, Vin Benders, and Herzog were the big three. I had heard of all these guys, so I thought it was important to start to, to see these guys' films. And I think the first guy I, I did see was Herzog's film, I Am My Films. And then since many of his films are mentioned that had already been made in that documentary, it, it drew me to every time I could catch one of those um to see them and i i'm still like blown away um by that by that director there's nobody like him now you mentioned uh you transferred to columbia now i've read on imdb and i just want to make sure this is true uh you wrote after hours was actually your three thesis screenplay was that is that true that's a that's yeah. so Okay. Tell us a little bit about that and what it's like to have your thesis screenplay uh, eventually directed by Martin Scorsese. I had Dushan Makaveyev, um was uh, he's a he's he's not alive anymore. Um, he was our teacher at Columbia. Very very um, very interesting guy. Very you know real intellectual and um, uh, I don't know. I just kept writing stuff and showing it to him and he got really um, he was like oh just keep going. And, you know, I, I don't remember uh, what year it was uh, that I started writing the um, sh- some sh- I did some <sighs> short scripts and we had for this guy, Frank Danielle. And I remember uh, he was very a classicist, like his way of teaching, you know, it's kind of and true first act, second act, third act that was all sort of broken down and. I, I felt sort of rebellious against that kind of thing um, from very early on, um, although I appreciate it and I still do appreciate, of course, that's very important. But um, this is like part of me that just wanted to kind of do stuff that was different. I don't know. Um, I'm still like that. So Dujan um, got invited to go to the Sundance Institute and he sort of had me come as his assistant. And so um, I had written the After Hours script and I brought it and, well, you know, it was very fast. I mean, it was just like, it was just like, I mean, it was just like, you know, I'm, I'm riding along in like a little Pony Express buggy and then suddenly it's like getting run over by a, a locomotive when you cross the tracks or something. I mean, before long, um, this woman, um, Amy Robinson, uh, brought it back to to New York and and uh, you know um, it was it was gonna be it looked like it was not gonna get made I mean you know it's this whole thing about getting it like if that's someone a joke do you get it or you know some someone some movie you like and you recommend it and, and I don't get it you know it's like you know that whole thing you know that was kind of happening um, where people just weren't getting it um, and you know but but rather quickly Martin Scorsese got it you know so. Um, I, I don't know how to describe it. It was just like, basically it started like a period of not even believing it almost. Like I would say we, we sort of shifted gears here into like, I, I, I don't even, I'm not even sure this is even happening kind of thing. Um, <laughs> honestly, because 
because quite I'm not I'm not kidding. The film he had made previous was was totally one of my un- unbelievable favorite films, The King of Comedy. Like I can't tell you that. I mean, I thought it was like his best film. Uh, that's saying a lot. So I can't even articulate um, the dreamy kind of like space that suddenly I'm sort of catapulted in, really. So, you know, um, that's what it was like. It was like, what? Um, yeah. But anyway, um, and then, you know, and then there's, he sort of, you know, becomes more real. I mean, you sort of start to hear the director tell you about, you know, it being cast and, and and you go to a set and you see it, you see it, you still kind of like, and you know, it was just interesting. Like uh, um, um, little, little things I remember just uh, learning about like, like there's this ointment, of, this burn ointment that has to be, there has to be a close above and they put it on like a little rotisserie, like something like, you know, I, I, I never would have thought of that. I, I just, that was just so interesting, so professional. You don't, you don't have a shot of the tube of burn, just held in someone's hand with the camera over because you have a close and someone's hand is holding it a little bit. You can't help that. This, the human hand makes it jiggle a little bit. Um, and, uh, I don't know. I, somehow that was like so real to me. I was like, Oh, okay. You know, I remember, I actually remember that specifically because I had made a film, um, called the office a short film. And I had a, a little shot where some, the, the main character has to turn over an envelope and we have a close up of the envelope. And, you know, I had it just in his hand and because it was a close up and you're supposed to see his name that was on the envelope. It was like, um, it was jiggling a little bit, you know, and it always bothered me, you know? And, um, anyway, I don't know. I'm just, I'm just sort of singling out this, this very specific thing because, uh, because I never would have thought of that in a million years, you know, putting on like a little rotisserie. Um, but you know, things got cut out, you know, I mean, you know, this is, this is a phenomenon. I mean, that happens of course. And, uh, well, that didn't happen at all. Vampire's kiss, but just, just chunks would get cut out in, in you know, even before they start shooting and, and and then and then during the shooting and then you know it's just that's a little heartbreaking and but you know you sort of by that point you're so sort of you know you don't even care just whatever you guys you you know you've, you've taken control it just becomes a different thing i mean i as you, I, i'd gone from you know I, I thought i you know i would have i would have done a good job directing it but i i knew that you know the producers didn't really you know see that or even think of that as, as a viable possibility sure. so um so it's a martin scorsese picture you know um, and then, you know, you see different cuts of it and, uh, it's just completely different. It's, it was, it was really different. I mean, I, it was very different than, than I had pictured it. I, I have to admit, you know, so, um, you know, a, a lot of people liked it, you know, um, so. I, I actually have a question for you. Uh, like you, you were talking about how you, you, you're in that dream state almost when you get your, your screenplay picked up. And I just want to know, does that ever does that feeling ever leave you the more times that something of yours gets picked up or is it always just like oh my goodness this is this is amazing or do you kind of just get used to it no it's um it's it, you, you don't get used to, i didn't i don't get used to it i'm i'm i I've, i'm amazed the more the more i've been in the business the more I, I i got into the business i i sort of almost not don't even feel i'm in the business that much now but i actually start to think it's a miracle any movie gets made i mean it's just like it's amazing things that could stop a movie from getting made it's it's really almost like so i'm very aware of that like i mean i mean especially when one of my movies certainly they're they're just weird um 
I mean, you know, I can't, I'm not, you know, I'm not speaking about, you know, your Godzilla movie or, you know, a lot of these things, you know, they're like slam dunks, guess, you know, it doesn't take, you know, any genius to sort of, you know, shove Rocky five down the system. You know, it's, that's obviously, this is not what we're talking about. We're talking about film films that have no reason to, for getting made, which are all of mine, really. They're all like, how, how did that get made? And I'm very aware of it. And I think it's a miracle um, that the, the planets ever line up. I, I still can't believe Motorama, which is the, you know, you know, the, I know one of the films you talked about got made. It's an R-rated movie, you know, with a, a kid as the main character. The concept of it is almost like, uh, well, but it did because of this guy, um, you know, the planets lining up. Just a certain director wanted to do it, and this 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 this, this crazy producer, but crazy in a good way, you know. Basically, you 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 hook up with these people that are, for my stuff, you've got to hook up with people that are kind of crazy but in a good way like good crazy you know and that's been the case with anything that's ever seen the light of day um someone's a little a little i'm the first crazy person you know i starts i'm still crazy you know i mean but in a good way you know it's like it's a specific it's a crazy you know going back to being excited by ski's craziness and Werner Herzog's craziness these guys are just crazy but in in this kind of ballsy uh, pushing the envelope edges of the envelope way that still impresses me i i uh and that's that's a sort of my sort of colloquial way of putting it like and and you know it's a big business with millions and millions of dollars and so it's hard to find crazy people that want to kind of you know risk that's why that's why you know make a sequel or remake or something uh so but you know we all know there, there, are, there are people that somehow manage to be crazy and 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 sprout through the cracks and and that's a uh, that's amazing to me. I'm I'm just like wow that got made. There there are movies that have gotten made. I remember when the movie The Hours got made. You know with uh, Julianne Moore, Meryl Streep, and Nicole Kidman. I was amazed that film got made. That to me was a miracle. That's one of these movies to me that got made. That structure in Hollywood with these big actresses and but with a structure like that, this kind of pinwheeling three triad thing that cross pollinates and comments on each other blew my mind that that movie got made for example you know in hollywood i mean there you know there's movies that come from europe and european sensibility is somewhat different and not as a little more rule breaky or tending to that and so i'm a little less amazed when when those films get made because that's the tradition and, and the tradition is not so much that here you know, one thing I, I remember my film school experience is like this, this guy, Arnie, as I told you, he came from, he was in Paris, in films. He would turn, you know, and I had already been aware of certain European directors, but he would show us more. And I, I remember thinking like the whole point of his showing us these films was that, you know, we would be influenced by them, that we would sort of absorb the language, the syntax of some of these filmmakers. It's allowed. That's a, that's allowed, you know. Know, I mean, that's the whole point of everything is to kind of like, you know, one person's talking on this side of the earth and this person is over here and you're sort of communicating with the human condition. But I felt like a resistance. Like I almost, my, my fellow, a lot of my fellow students or certainly, certainly when I sort of got involved with Hollywood type people, there was almost, I felt an attitude. Oh, yeah, that's what they do. That's what's done over there. But we don't do that. You know, we, we, we you know, we, we just... We just don't want that to touch us, that kind of European influence. And um, I mean, 
you know, I'm talking about back in like the eighties and um, I don't know about, I'm not speaking to now so much because I'm sort of out of it. I'm sort of out of touch with thinking, no, no, man, I, I want to kind of um, sort of like take in and understand the way Fellini could like combine dream state and alienation and, um, and Antonioni could sort of talk about stuff that nobody wants to talk about, which is how no one's really connecting. And, you know, it's, you know, I, and, you know, right, maybe some of these guys come in and out of fashion. Um, but, uh, you know, they're, they're talking about some really like adult kind of concerns. So I, 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 uh, I think that's the whole point. I, st- I still think that's the kind of the point. I mean, this is, this is when it was bifurcated, I guess. As I said, I, I can't really speak to today. Everything's a big, um, there's just so much now and everything, I guess there's been a, like that you can't put the genie back in the bottle. I guess that's good. Um, I can't, I, I can't even speak to this so much stuff that I'm almost overwhelmed. I almost just, just when I look at something and I kind of don't really try to catch what's au courant or what's, I, I don't even make an attempt. So I, I'm really not good about, I'm, you're not asking me about now. You're asking me about, you know, my, the formation of my sensibility and all that stuff. But I remember that feeling it was like, oh my God, you know, these, these, these people coming from Germany and Italy and, 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 and France, you know, that's the reason they got here because the people are relating to this stuff. Um, so anyway, um, you know what I mean? <laughs> sure. So you were talking about uh, the difference between After Hours and Vampire's Kiss. You know, Vampire's Kiss almost remained intact from screenplay to screen. So let's transition right into Vampire's Kiss. What was the inspiration for Vampire's Kiss? It was um, basically I was going through a really bad relationship. I don't know. A lot of a lot of people have one of these in life. It's like, um, you know, I'm not going to get into like a group therapy here. It was a long time ago. Um, I, I will I will say the reason why I didn't wind up directing it was because of what I'm about to say. But it was um, trying to count sort of like sort of to purge. Um, I don't know. I, I got I, I was in my first obsessive love hate kind of relationship that it took two to tango and I was being driven crazy. And I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to just lay it all on the relationship. I, I, I am just naturally kind of, you know, a little crazy, you know. But, um, you know, everybody was quite toxic. So, you know, um, but also this this lady was a film person and, and we, were, we were traveling together. And she said, uh, you're really upset, Joe. Why don't you write a screenplay and you'll, you know, feel better because I'll produce it. I mean, I'm not kidding. She said that. We were actually in a, in a Caribbean island, and I was just like, I was actually get, I was actually upset because Motorama was not getting made. I had written Motorama, and it was, it was, you know, nobody was getting it, and it was running like obstacles. And I know, I don't know, what did I do? You know, is this, is this like a, you know, not never, people just don't get it. And that was, that was, that was really upsetting me. But um, I, uh, I, 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 I agreed that I should, uh, I should just try to forget about it and write a screenplay. But she, so she goes back to New York. And I rented a typewriter, and so I didn't know have any idea what I was going to write. I do remember that there was a couple at the hotel in this in in Bar- it was it was Barbados in this town Bar- in Barbados, and we were talking. You know, we met at the 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 hotel bar or something, and we started talking about movies. You know, the way people naturally start to talk about movies, like you and I are talking about movies, sure. but um, it just sort of organically went to movies and the woman i remember was going on about horror movies just loved horror movies. she was like from the midwest and i 
I remember thinking, oh, this is this is this is like this cro the cross section of the American public. This this woman, she's basically reminded me of you know give the people what they want and you know and you know and, and I remembered like yeah horror horror films people love horror films you know you're having trouble getting Motorama made if you think about something that maybe and in those days horror films were were kind of what people would the go to genre to try to get something made because they're they're always like financeable like if they're if they're a solid idea so that's got me that sort of narrowed things down i started like okay i think i think maybe i should do something in the horror something vaguely horror i don't know why um and between me and, and between that and thinking about uh, and script i hadn't rented the typewriter yet um but then like um so i'm thinking all right horror but what kind of horror and then there's there's all different types of horror but i was still thinking about directing myself and i felt like oh come on if you're going to be directing something it's going to have to be something low budget you know they're going to have they're not going to give you let you be at the helm of a, a very big budget movie so think about no special effects it really it really was that kind of like like left brain like no special effects what horror films don't have special effects or easy i thought vampires because you don't have to have like hair growing like a wolf or a big monster or beast you know vampires just some cheap fangs and a cape and you've you've got a vampire i remember thinking things like that and, and then um of course set in in new york and um i know this is going to sound oh, come on but as if to validate my thinking or to sort of you know acknowledge it i saw these bats coming out of the rafters of this hotel i was in as, as the sun was going down you know it's like these, you know it's like oh okay all right that's what i'm supposed to be doing so i rented the typewriter and um i did write that script with the intention of, of me directing it i wrote it fairly quickly because i'm spending money at this you know hotel and i i kind of had a gun to my head um to not have to keep paying for a hotel room so i was sort of just like hunkered down and um the script got filmed without me having to do any rewriting not a syllable every single thing exactly what i wrote exactly what i wrote first draft was made except for him eating the cockroach which i hadn't written that i had written him sucking on a, a raw egg but nicholas cage had the idea of the cockroach and wanted to do so he volunteered for that <laughs> so that's uh, that's how that came about you know it was very intense time there i, I I'm, I'm it was kind of wonderful I, I would go to this very dark place but then as the sun was coming down and i would be done riding for the day I'd, I'd go to this incredible beach and see the sunset to kind of you know ameliorate the sort of torture i was going through you know inside for a stretch of uh, of, of the writing process of that of that one and i sent it i mailed it right away like to barbara um my girlfriend then um so she got it before i even you know landed back at jfk she had read it and said we're gonna i, I talked to barry who was the, the producing partner and so you know then they then then it was the the baton was tossed to them to try to to try to go out in hollywood and and that took a while that took a while and oh and uh, i i and after sir point i was just said i said you know what i just can't i don't i, I don't want to actually don't want they were pushing me to direct i, I was approved from the company that wound up doing it and you know i i said you know i i just i can't revisit this 
state of mind in any way. I, I, I disengaged with it a thousand percent by writing it. I, I purged this awful energy. I can't do it again. Uh, and so they were really upset and I can't blame them. Somehow it worked out. I mean, it, it, that's another, that's, that's a, that is, you know, kind of an amazing thing that I have to, I have to hand it to them that they, they imagined they managed to resurrect it even when the director dropped out me. So they did, they got Bob Bierman. Um, anyway, he, you know, and Bob Bierman actually was, he was originally supposed to do the fly that David Cronenberg film, but, um, he had a tragedy and he couldn't, um, he was, I know I'm not going to go into it, but he, he couldn't, he couldn't do it. So David Cronenberg directed it, but then he was in shape by time they handed him the vampire kiss script. But anyway, yeah, that was, that was a very, very, um, uh, intense, uh, writing, writing, writing process. Um, I guess in a way. I've never had anything that pure happen before or since. Just pure, just what I wrote, just directly to the screen, except for eating a cockroach. You know, it's like, uh, but that's that's all true. That's how that happened. Uh, so, and you know, I I never we never my, girl, my girlfriend and I broke up. That was inevitable, and I haven't seen her in 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 that whole time since since the whatever that was, 1988. You know, yeah. So anyway. you said. Yeah, uh, you say that most uh, basically what you wrote wound up on the screen. Does that include Nicolas Cage's performance? <laughs> Did you envision? No, 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 no. Just, just the words on the page. Um, I wrote the whole alphabet just with with the pauses where it is. I mean, actually, you know, I wrote it out, you know, and then like pause, and then you know, D E F G. Um, but I did not include the histrionic gestures. The um, you know. <laughs> That was that was um no I I I don't want to diminish at all Nick Cage's contribution I'm I'm just saying I wrote the script I wrote the words I wrote the dialogue I wrote every scene that's but he boy I mean no he really he really went to town and I I honestly think I don't know I mean this is all projecting I I really don't know but I don't know if I if I was directing the film if I would have let him get away with that. And I thank God that Robert Bierman let him. He just got it and he went with it. Nobody stopped him. I mean, I think I think my producers, one or two, both might have tried to say something like, what is he? And then like Bob would just insist, no, no, we're going with this. But I may have said, no, this is this is this is like nuts. I probably would. This is so long ago. Um, but I, 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 I bet you. And then what would have happened? One out. I would have went walk or or he would have just been you know felt constrained and that would have been a horrible atmosphere anyway it's all conjecture that that's not what happened rob bierman let him do it so i don't think i would or i think i would have been certainly resistant at first probably i, I would just hear about it i would hear you know i wasn't on the set but i would hear my my, my producer barry shills saying oh my god he was like dancing like mick jagger you know in the in the psychiatrist scene and <laughs> I really, um, but he was saying it in a way that was like, this is Joe, wait till you see it. And I, you know, I didn't see anything until I saw the whole film finished. And I was like, this is really, you know, anyways. So yeah, um, I had written Motorama before that, um, but that went through, oh my God, that went through so many things. I mean, with Vampire Skiss, it was, I wrote it, it went right to the producer, they, they went to Hollywood and they did a shot, they did some shopping around, but with, before long, they found uh, this guy John Daly. He's also dead now. 
but um, he had a company called Hamdale. They were doing rather adventurous. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to hero.co to shop today. Films um, were part, at least part producing some good films. And that was one of the companies in, in those days that was, that was. so um, that it was good for them to, I don't know. I think Larry Cohen, the director, Larry Cohen, I believe was instrumental in steering Barry and Barber to John Hemdale, to John Daly at Hemdale. I believe that's the case. I'm not sure. Anyway, I wasn't involved in any of that, you know. Gotcha. So uh, now it's been 30 years. Now Vampire's Kiss has kind of gotten a second life a little bit based on Nicolas Cage's performance in sort of the meme kind of world of the internet. What What is it like seeing something that you worked on decades ago kind of being revisited in such a 2020 sort of way in these memes that kind of pop up because of Nicolas Cage's performance. It's a hoot. I mean, I love it. I, I, I really, I'm not surprised in a way because I do, I mean, I can predict the future, but I'm telling you guys, when I first saw the film, it was at a little screening room in Manhattan. I almost like this film was going to be around for a while. I could feel it. I could, I just felt like he was breaking ground. I felt there was such a strong energy, even if it's off-putting to a lot of people for a long time, give it time, you know? I mean, and it, it bombed. I mean, it did bomb. It was, it did bomb. It came out the summer of 89, and I, I remember it was a blistering summer, and I was in New York, and there were four theaters that I was shown at. Two of the theaters, the air conditioning wasn't working, which didn't help. It also came out the same week that, that a Star Trek sequel was released, uh, a Ghostbusters 2, I think, or maybe the first Ghostbusters, I don't know, but, you know, Ghostbusters, come on. Right. And there was another one that was, oh, I think uh, another big, big uh, uh, film. You know, it was it was just an environment not really conducive to our film being seen, and it quickly faded, dropped. But, you know, it, and it's still now people are, or I mean, I I remember I when I, I moved. I remember this is the first. Uh, this is interesting. You asked me this question because I actually remember. You know, I moved to LA. I was living in LA for a while, working on the business. And I do remember distinctly. I was at a party, and was it a guy or a girl came up to me and told me that this is true. They they used Vampire's Kiss as a movie to kind of test potential boyfriends. Like <laughs> if like if they liked it, that 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 was like. That, that guy was okay. You know, the way you'd like have have someone come over back a certain way and like, like him, Fido, then I guess it's okay. I, I That was like my very, very first, that was that was pre-meme, but that was really cool. I thought that was very interesting. It was very specific. And anyway, then, 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 then like, I don't know, a couple years later, the New York Times, you know, some Johnny come lately article about how, oh, you know, I just was catching up some films and this film vampires because it's like a masterpiece. And, you know, so it was like too little too late. Thank you. But, you know, um, would have been nice if that person had reviewed it. And, but anyway, <laughs> what are you going to do? I mean, that's, and then, and then it's been built in, in, up, uh, in, in popularity 
even with it's being built up and building up in popularities decades later, a lot, a lot, most people haven't seen. You, you know, you know that. I mean, it's still kind of a cult movie. Um, I just keep, I hope it keeps going. You know, because you know, I think if you ask the average person, they're like, no, I, I never even heard of that film. Sure. And, and certainly when it first came out, it's still basically, you know, a forgotten movie. You know, relative to many, many other movies. You know. So I, I've, I've, and I've since read. And, and, and talk to many people that totally appreciate it. And uh, I have very serious pieces about it, like really, like, you know, really kind of um, interesting analyses, uh, which, are, which has been very kind of gratifying. And it would have been nice if it just did better because it would have made my life easier, you know, um, but it bopped, you know. Well, real quick, <laughs> real quick, it, I'm looking it up now. It went up against Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, Ghostbusters 2. Right. And Batman. So that's those are a lot of heavy that was it. there. So this, yeah, that's that's rough. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. The same year Back to the Future you know, too. It's all it's all again. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's right. Batman. How could I forget? Yeah. It's it, one of those things where you you don't really it it must have been tough to see that lineup or I don't know if you if you knew what it was coming out against, but if you did, if you see that you might have thought, Oh man, you know, that's kinda rough. So yeah, I, 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 I tell you, um, I did, but then the other part of me that a long time before in the conversation where I said I think it's a miracle that movies get made, I, I, I also was thinking, hey, it's just a miracle this movie got made and that it's actually going to even reach a screen. So that was that was there too in me, you know. I mean, you know, it's like you know, I have no control. You have no control over so many things. Right. You certainly have no control over when they pick the time. Um. That was all, you know, the guys, there was so much going on, man. I mean, I mean, Hem, that was also, we had to wait, like, time for Hemdale had geared up to release their own films. They didn't have a distribution branch, the, the company that made it, when they were when they made the film. So for a long time, um, whoever was representing the film was taking it to, like, Cinecom or Viacom or whatever, you know, there were smaller distribution companies in those days. They're, they're gone now. But... The deal wasn't sweet enough. Obviously, they just whatever they couldn't agree on on the numbers. So then somebody said at Hemdale, wait a minute, why don't we just distribute our own films? But that took a long time for the, you know gear up for them to be ready to do that. So we had to just sit on our asses until they geared up to release their own films and became it was a Hemdale release. So they released it, but they cut. Oh, then at the very last minute, they did chop out a bunch. Um, that was heartbreaking. I couldn't believe it. They wanted to shorten the time. Oh my God, there was just all these suits. Anyway, and then it got it got released in a shorter version. I think maybe I'm not sure. I think I think maybe the DVD version now is back to the the longer the longer cut. If there's a scene of Nicolas Cage towards the end of the movie just dragging a stake on the street, going oh oh, that's the longer cut. So um, that that's how I know that was the, the the longer director's cut from that. There were a couple other things. The psychiatrist scenes were a little longer in, in the director's cut. And a couple other moments. Um, there's a there's a scene with him breaking up with his fantasy girlfriend at the end, but that starts earlier in the original version on the street. He starts talking to her. I think in the released version, they just cut to him sort of walking up the stairs of his apartment building. I don't remember exactly. Um, I do remember one one really specific thing I was angry about in the in the, in the chopped up version was a music 
edit that, that they they just they just cut into a scene that the music cue had already started. So this it's abrupt. This is like abrupt. Suddenly you're into this thing with this music. It should have been you know warmed up to, and that like any anybody could pick that out. It's like a bad cut. But that was that was that's called butchering. You know. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I can't believe all this, the more I talk about it, this stuff is like, like coming back. Um, but make no mistake, I that part of me that is just look, I'm no, I'm not naive. I I know you know there's obstacles and 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 there's a lot of hurdles and you're not gonna you're not gonna jump over all of them and every you know I'm not the only guy who's experienced this. Uh, almost every film does. So you know that that's my version. You know. Uh, transition to Motorama, which was actually the movie that got us to reach out to you because we were pretty enamored with it, especially the ending. But what went into the inspiration? What was what got you to write Motorama, which you told us came before Vampire's Kiss? This again, it's um, it's not as, not as dramatic as the Vampire's Turmoil, Turmoil, and it was more like um, um, I do remember, I do remember some, I do remember some, I do remember, you know, enough of to be able to relay to you how that I got going on that and this is this is what was happening first of all, let me go back to like you know in film school in writing in classes what what we're taught things you're, you're, you're sort of taught, taught to think metaphorically you know exaggerate things exaggerate things. this way it gets out of you writing literally about what you're doing you've got to kind of like use your imagination to sort of stretch things out so that they're more operatic and bigger and larger than life. I mean, so that's what that's what we were doing in, in writing classes, like little things like that to sort of get out of, you know, just a literal guy in his room sort of like writing. So anyway, I'm just I'm just I'm just want to um, get that out there because that applies to what was going on in those days. I was I was like I'm always kind of got the you know depression, but I remember I was really depressed then. Um, and one of the things that I uh, was like focused on was like in those days we had answering machines. Remember answering machines? Well, maybe you guys don't, maybe too young, but there were these answering machines that, you know, uh, they rings a couple of times. If you're not home, you, you, there's an outgoing message. This is Joe, leave a message and boop. And then someone would leave a message. And um, I remember I was so depressed that sort of a potential high point of my day was just trying to kind of speak to someone new or um, just somebody to get me out of myself. And then I would come home, I would like look at my answering machine and maybe, you know, it had like a little number that would say the number of messages. And if there were like six, you'd be, oh boy, you know, um, sometimes it would be zero and it's, that'd be depressing. But I mean, this is so pathetic. I know this sounds so pathetic, but then you like, you press it and there'd be six be listening to these six messages like whatever hoping you get a you know call from bernardo bertolucci saying come to rome and write a movie but you know it'd always be like something really kind of banal and and then off it might be just like your mother and you're like oh that doesn't count it's like so it's like <laughs> that's just like mom it's not, gonna, it's not gonna rouse me out of my this it's just not gonna cut it you know okay okay I'm, i i said all that stuff before about exaggerating because i just had that that's what i had was this thing of just like please something kind of bolster me up just somebody save me just somebody kind of interesting so but i didn't want to write about a guy who could come home and listen to his answer machine so um i remember when i was a kid that esso was before exxon had these uh contests that you'd like get the card and and you had to spell out like tigerino i think it was tigerino and if you spelled out tigerino you get like 
a prize. Of course, you know, that's just a big, you know, ruse to get you to keep going to SO stations to get your gas. You know, I remember that. I remember that. I somehow I just remember that. And then I, so I stuck the two together and I just decided to kind of like, I don't know. I don't know that that kind of notion of 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 taking the emotion that I had of looking at that answering machine and hoping I would get a call from Bertolucci or whatever, you know, you know, I'm just like not, I wasn't really thinking I was going to. Although actually I did get a call from Bertolucci. That's funny I should say that because I actually <laughs> did get a message from Bertolucci. Anyway, um, and and apply it to to like this like sort of situation where someone was taking this little game seriously and but then then the brute reality was most of the cards were ones you already had the call from mom like oh that's the equivalent of the call from mom oh i already have an m you know it's not it's not interesting you know <laughs> or there'd be no messages and that'd be that'd be like getting a blank it's like oh i didn't get anything it's nothing you peel this there's nothing there and um and then making you know then of course exaggerating that situation so that i I can make this uh, this kind of road movie out of it, but it had to be in a kind of fantastical setting that was very very absurdist. I know for it to work, but I do remember all this stuff that I'm telling you, and I remember my my thinking about about um um about taking taking this little gas station game and trying to kind of exaggerate it the way I was taught back in film school metaphorically to make it into something not not recently. I I was I was realistic um I, I remember the first draft of the script um another thing that would keep get me get me to be not depressed i was listening to me i was like constantly into music it was really important to me i had my my record player gone all the time and this draft you know I, I was in all these songs and i gus turns radio and then and you know be ready to have on or something uh i did that so much of course i didn't i wasn't thinking about you can't really do that you know with film rights um music rights um it just would have been impossible, and that all got taken out. But 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 I remember how I was like I was constantly blaring my my stereo to kind of keep my energy going through this through this time that I was down. So um, I especially was very very much listening to the Beatles. Somehow the Beatles had this ameliorating effect on on my on my 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 state of mind at, at the time. So you know I. That was that was that that was that period, and um, that that was the genesis of that project. From from, from you know this 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 probably you know the other factors. Um, I told you earlier that I was I was a big fan of Oh Lucky Man. Something about you know in a subterranean way. There's a there's an influence in that like you know Lucky Man. It's very obviously Oh Lucky Man deals with Britain and social institutions very very critically but there's this almost sense of someone's whole life going through a whole life in one two-hour shot you know so there's almost like this almost like this kid is going through his whole life almost you know um you know something of, a, of an influence I, I just again these things are kind of murky but um anyway i think i answered your question that was going i was i was down i i, I sort of had that gas station game thing feeling like this is going to be my answer machine uh, and I'm going to be a road. Give me an opportunity to introduce all these characters, get out of New York, you know, in my head to kind of do something not set in New York and have this kind of like a road movie and a kind of alternate America. Um, and, that, and that, and then, you know, I mean, that had a, that had a much more difficult history. I could tell you about that if you're, if you're interested, if, but you know, in the end, 
it, it got well. I mean, it basically it just went through. I mean, it it kept it just. Ugh, uh, I don't even know where to start with the, with with all the all the changes and different parties that were involved. I could. I, this won't be in any 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 real um any logical order. I don't. But however you want to point, tell it. I had a whole other. I was asked the character, or what's it, was I asked to do this, or did I just do it on my own? I'm trying to remember. Anyway, at one point, there's a whole different script. Um, that's happened with other scripts of mine where there's been completely different versions. And I had a completely different version that also he had a companion on the road, um, a, a woman, a, an adult woman who was hitchhiking and he picks up. And she was going through her own tortured kind of, you know, ordeal because she had been broken up with by some, she had been dumped. Okay. And she just couldn't get that out of her so poor and I was obsessed the West obsessed with the card game she was just so fixed on on trying to get this guy back and you know it's kind of pathetic really but you know it's like your worst part of your needy self of, of some sort of you know codependent kind of thing going on so yeah a little lingering of the vampire's kiss kind of thing anyway that that got that got there was interest in that as a matter of fact it looked like it was it was might even get made and um did you ever like? Did you ever see Werner Herzog's um, Fitzcarraldo? Yes, in college. No, unfortunately. Because not. like, there's a, a documentary. It's a documentary called Burden of Dreams, and 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 uh, Werner Herzog talks about how they had originally cast uh, Jason Robards as Fitzcarraldo, and Mick Jagger was going to be his sidekick, and they filmed that a lot of it. But then, but then Mick Jagger, it was going. There were delays, and they they lost Mick Jagger because he had a had a concert tour, and then and Mick Jagger, Jason Robards got sick, his doctor said. So they had to start over again. He talked, and he talked about losing Nick McJagger was like the biggest disappointment of his whole career. Well, the biggest disappointment in a way in my career was that we had Sandra Bernhard um, attached to play this woman I told you about, the, the adult woman. I love Sandra Bernhard. But they wound up, you know, doing their bureaucratic hemming and hoing until it was clear they weren't going to make it. That was Warner Brothers. And then the guy who made it, who was a much lower level sort of producer, lower, you know, wasn't 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 like a Warner's executive. He just his own little. He couldn't. He, once Warner Brothers had paid me for the additional character, they owned that draft. They any new work that I had done on the script that they they own, and they don't they don't sell stuff that they they pay for. But the guy who made it had seen the original draft, and he he loved it. And he didn't have to pay Warner's for the draft I had written before the additional material for Warner. So we went with. So it was it was it was just the boy, you know. Um, that said, and again, you know, you know, the miracle that the planets lined up and got made. That movie again, I was I was summoned to Arizona to 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 do rewrites and but most painfully to take pages out. They had a short in it. They, I'm sitting there ripping pages out because. You know, they didn't have enough money to shoot the whole thing. So I'm, you know, I'm in this unenviable position of having to kill my children and streamline it. Um, I'm leaving out a lot of other stuff before getting to that point. Um, I actually remember being, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to sound like a, this is, this is all ultimately good. A movie got made, but it was very, there was bumpy things. I, and then and there were last minute things. And, um, you know, it was kind of interesting like to go. I remember going to Arizona and, I've never been to that part of the country, and I, I actually do remember finding it kind of interesting, just being in that kind of 
landscape. And the production designer had built a gas station. And I remember it was just like they were going to film at that gas station. And he he just had this idea, like, you know, we could put a sign up here. You know, there's a there's a there's room to put a banner up here. But we should ask Joe. He's here. He's here from New York. Let's ask him what the banner should say. So he, he came over to me and said, you know, we could we could be kind of cool. We could just put a little brush stroke up, up here of something. What do you think you should say? But we got to do it fast. We're shooting in like 10 minutes or, we're, you know, we got to kind of get, get it up quickly. So I remember distinctly just looking around and then um, I thought that be fulfilled would be perfect kind of thing to to uh, to hang there. And uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm singling out one one specific uh, memory um because that was kind of that was kind of you know you know you, you sort of on the gun and and uh and you know i felt like i was in a strange way the writer contributing i mean it's, it, i guess it's like the one i i think it's fondly of it because it was a moment that i was adding instead of taking out you know um stuff but there were a lot you know it was it was an emotional shoot yeah you know? i mean i wasn't personally involved you know but um it was rough and uh in that that was a small production company that wound up distributing it. And I, I happened to be in L.A. when it opened. And at the open, it was the, the Sunset Cinema. It was like this the corner of La Cienega, Wenga. Maybe, maybe La Cienega and Sunset Boulevard. But I remember there was a bomb scare. I mean, there was, there was actually a, you know, this is like, oh, my God, like Vampire's Kiss. The air conditioning was broken during the summer. And that scared people away. And then there was a, a bomb scare that, that screwed up the opening of Motorama. At that, at that theater, I, you know, I, I'll never forget that. <laughs> yeah, what a world, right? You know, <laughs> you can't catch a break, really, um, right? Anyway, again, that film bomb, that film bomb too. And again, it's it's over the, you know, it's it's found its little audience. It's seen than even Vampire's Kiss, which you know, um, at least has the star power, you know, of Nick Nicholas Cage. Um, anyway, so um, that's that's the short version. Well, it's not that short. I kind of was blathering on of, of, of how that, that got going. But there, there were a lot. Of, there was another producer before that took a long time running around. I was I was I was brought to Hollywood, different meetings. Michael Nismith was 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 maybe going to be involved as a producer, you know, he of the monkeys. He was one of the you know, he was in the monkeys. Um, Brandon Tartikoff, who was like the head of NBC, you know, these, they kind of came close and then, you know, whatever. Um, he's behind the doors of decisions. And then, and then at one point, producer's option ran out. And then my producer from Vampire's Kiss gave me a call and said, Hey, I know it's available. I think it was shot. So I said, okay. And he went, he went, cause he wanted to direct. And he, so he directed it. Um, there, there, there are more. There's more to it, but um, I think probably I wanted to do the video. Um, but I think I, that one I let go of pretty quickly. I, I didn't think it was going to get made. Um, I was, I was actually talk about being amazed. I, um, I remember it was Lauren Grabo called me in my apartment in New York. He said that they got the, the Lauren, the like co-producers, and um, I pretty much given up. I don't know. Much. You sort of don't even, you know, you just get kind of numb. But um, anyway, it got made, and there it is, and it exists, and you know, some people hate it, and I, I don't care, whatever, you know. <laughs> some people love it, you know, whatever. Um, I did like, you know, sometimes I podcast. I forget who it was who said that I've created a landscape where anything could, you could get away with anything. I liked that. It made me sort of um, almost learn about myself. It's almost like, like I think I like to, I do 
I think maybe subconsciously I do kind of like to create scenarios where you you don't know what to expect. Like anything could happen. Um, I like that in movies. Like you know, you're sitting there. You know, it's the opposite of that that horrible feeling you get in movies. Like oh, I know how this is gonna go. You know, I, I think I think it's kind of cool when you could sort of sit there feeling like I don't know, this could go anywhere. I don't know what's gonna happen. I do remember. Oh, I remember one scene that got cut out that I felt like was almost like the central metaphor of the whole movie <laughs> um, that got cut out, you know, where it wasn't even filmed. It was one of the things I had to take out, but isn't that ironic? But there was a scene with um, uh, the kid entering a traffic circle and it was like, then you'd see was like three of you were in the, in the, in the front seat going around and you'd see the signs off of the circle to different roads. And I had cities that I'd made up names of cities, you know, I can't think of what they were now. Let's just let's just use American cities: New York, Chicago, L.A., Detroit. And I just remember I had this scene where Gus got in the circle and he didn't know which one to take. And and he would say he'd pass it and he'd see oh and he'd mumble New York, pass it and go oh Chicago, oh Los Angeles, and then back around maybe you know maybe a couple times. I loved that because I felt like um, that's life, you know, like you <laughs> yeah. know you just we're out. What road do I take? You know, everything will change depending on which one I, I journey down. Um, but but uh, you know, it's like it's so funny because it's like ah, it's not it's not forward. It's like a circle. It's like that's a great metaphor for what movies do to you. And it's like it's not going forward. And it's like he's in a circle. Oh, we got to get rid of that because it's like it's almost like stalls it or something. Even though poetically, I felt that was like right on the money, right bullseye of of the feeling. You know that I was kind of going for. I, I just remember. For sure. Yeah. I think it still is kind of portrayed in the movie because we I think we did talk about that, how Gus didn't really know he, he was trying to escape from, you know, his his home life, but he didn't really know where he was going. So it's still it's still there. But right. I, I I do like that idea that, right. you know, you're just oh, good as, as a kid, even not knowing which road to take. And, you know, like you said, we're all trying to do that now. But imagine, you know, you're like a 10 11 year old boy trying to navigate the world that way yeah uh i think one of the major things that we gravitated I'm glad towards you got the, feeling. yeah definitely uh one of the things we gravitated towards so much in this movie was the ending because we spent must have been about 20 minutes trying to so dissect good. it really um so i wanted to get kind of from the horse's mouth basically kind of what were you going for with this ending where he you know, he becomes it, it's like a cir- it, it is, again, that the thematic element of a circle where he goes through this hero's journey um, and he makes some decisions where he's directly or indirectly punished for. And then he has that moment where he can do it all over again. So I just want to kind of get from you what what you were going for in that aspect. Um, uh, uh, what what you said in the past because you seem to have, you seem to have pretty much sense that that feeling of like what what is, I don't know that I want to um, dispel the sense of um, mystery I I, I kind of like I love it often I actually love it when there's some things you can't really explain um, this is one of those things it's just like you know to get literal I mean obviously there is um, you know, it's funny, like the thing I just said before about the circle, you know, there's this whole idea, I guess, in, in, in physics, like of like, if you if you go one way, then you don't go that other way. But that is in some other little dimension. And and, you know, um, 
it'd be kind of interesting if those two ways somehow brush up against each other. Um, just that idea is kind of interesting. Um, so, so that's not really that because it seems like he had an effect, even though he's back to that stream, he gets to Phil's gas station, Phil's in a podcast, and we saw that he is kind of responsible for Phil being in, in the body cast, um, partly, you know. Um, so what's so so maybe there's this commingling, a little touching of one of the strands into the other. That I don't know. I don't really particularly want to explain. I I I I think you guys in in you're not totally getting it. Got it, which is good. I mean, I, I didn't. I'm glad. No, but none of you said oh stream that. I hate that. We all <laughs> hate those kind of endings, except unless it's the um but you know um it's this i had a friend in la he he, he used the term a mobile strip I, I don't even know what a mobile strip is but he said that's what your ending is he said that's what the film is a mo you know and i i think that has that has to do with like a like a like if you take a strip of paper but then you twist it and then you connect it so that if you follow one you'll wind up being on the other side and then if you keep going you'll be back on the outside i'm not sure i'm not i'm not a you know, mobile strip expert, but I remember thinking, ah, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. Maybe it's a mobile strip ending. You know, I certainly was not consciously thinking I'm going to write a mobile strip ending. It just seemed like the way to go imposed on me or anything like that. In case that's what you're asking, what did you have to kind of that sure. again? That's that script. That script went through a lot of, um, you know, it's like the 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 Marlin that the old man in the sea is taking home in Hemingway's book being ripped apart by sharks and you know we still got a little bit left by the time he gets back you know that's kind of what, what happened with motorama but i did write that that ending so you know i mean barry did his best to hold the whole thing but we were whittled down but that that was my that was my ending yeah uh, yeah and i i don't really even understand it I don't, you said you listened to the um the, the podcast i did on trafficking and i remember I remember actually in that podcast talking about how I even with that movie I wanted to write something that that even I didn't understand but sort of sensed was right. I I do that. That's something I I often do. I just did it uh, again. Um, things that like you're sort of like you you get it but it's not spelled out. I prefer airing on the side of what the fuck happened versus being spoon fed something. Um, so that's my style, you know. Um, was it one of you guys who said you didn't like that last line, like like music? Yeah, somebody said that. Might have been me. I'm going <laughs> to assume it was me. It, it okay. was. It just. It was such a off-putting ending. But as you explain it, like you go into the absurd, and you you don't really know how you want to mm -hmm. end it. I think it makes a little bit more sense now because it's just like again it's that circle and it's it's going to continue after the movie ends so it's just they're striking up a conversation so for me I was really just viewing it as like just from the outside obviously like oh that's that's not usually how I've seen a movie end you know what I mean but now it it makes a little bit more sense now that I'm we're speaking to you yeah I, you know I mean it's not like thing this thing or that thing or like you know I, i'm so used to that it's been it's been a long time since these movies have been made i've heard it all um and i don't really on one level i find it all very amusing it's 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 kind of cool to have that kind of distance you could really talk about it coldly and and just without 
without getting all upset about anything anymore. It's just, it's, 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 it's like, it's like a story from my childhood or something. It's just like, you know, you could, you could sort of be very detached, uh, you know, so, you know, whatever, you know, I mean, you hear about, you hear that about, I, I know there, there are movies that I've, 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 all sorts of movies. I can't believe people don't like a certain thing or then they, or they, they do like, like really, you know, and you just get so used to that. You just get like, so used to this the the variety the endless cornucopia of, of opinions you know um and that's what makes the world go around sure you know yeah and that wasn't me just like backing away either you know what i mean like it, it's still like the the ending still it, it's weird to me but again speaking through from for the person or to the person who wrote it you know now it's like oh okay i get where he was coming from where i was coming from was you know a lot of my scripts, the sort of intellectual stuff uh, is not even there. I'm not thinking about, I'm, I'm in a more of a, um, just, and it's an energy. I'm just trying to keep a certain energy and tone. I'm really, I'm really, whatever tone it is, I, I keep trying to be loyal to it, but um, I don't have any big master game plan. Uh, I did know how, you know, Motorama was actually one of the few scripts I've written where I kind of knew how it was how I was going to end it. That's that I don't know if I've, I've ever really I'd have to think about. It. I've written a lot of scripts, but usually I don't know what the ending is going to be till I get very close, till I kind of get there. Like I could surprise myself on the last page of a script that I write. Um, but this one I knew from very early on where it was going. Yeah, I think that's that made it sort of um, more relaxed. Um, I, I knew he was going to get all all the letters. I knew there was going to be a catch. Knew I was just gonna do some wacky kind of penetration of another dimension, one way or the other. That would be a little confusing. I, I kind of knew that. Um, yeah, I don't know why. Um, but... uh, I have a bunch of other questions, but you basically answered a lot of them. So that was my Good. last question. I know you were you were working on something, and you said you just finished it. I think last week. You want to tell us a little bit about that project? I'll tell you. Um, I... I'm still, it's funny. I'm still almost in this uh, afterglow. Is that the word? Or I don't know. Um, I only a week ago. And you know, when you you sort of, I'm still in the, in the sort of a little bit of the state of mind. Um, and I'd love to, I'd love to talk about it. I just felt, you know, we've all been going through this crazy period, and I felt like I wanted to write a screenplay. I just, I just basically thought, you know, I don't know, something about the craziness. It was just compelled me to hunker down and and write something. Um, what I wound up, and this is this is how it came about. Um, you read, you heard that podcast about about traffic that mm -hmm. I did in 1997. I lived in LA, so that movie, as you saw and you heard in the podcast, I could never post produce. So it's just sort of wound up going Vimeo, um, and you know um, that's a drag, but whatever. Um, I have a friend, a very good friend in in New York, who knows about this. And he, we, we would get together, and I think once I, I said to him, oh, I, I would love to remake it if I could just remake it with modern equipment because when I made it, it was on, a, it was on 16 cameras before these digital cameras, and now it's so much easier, and I wouldn't have this problem where I couldn't have a showable print because it would be digital and digitalized. Emotionally, a little like, why would I want to do that? I, I made it. I dealt with all that stuff because that's also a very intense 
Vance movie. Like, you know, the way I didn't want to redo Vampire's Kiss as a director. Part of me was fighting that. I didn't really want to redo um, Trafficking. But part of me thought, oh, if I did it on, on a digital format, that might be cool. So that was brilliant. And friends said, yeah, like, but but I, I made it in L.A. I made it in L.A. I, so I lived in L.A. Then, but I'm, I'm in New York now. And he said, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we remake it in New York. Oh, but it's such an L.A. story. I, it's a private detective. And I to me, private detective, it's like it just goes with L.A. You know, that tradition, Raymond Chandler. And, you know, uh, it just seems to fit. And I, I don't know. It's so much. It'll be hard to do that from here. You know, I have to get everybody together on the West Coast. And then he kept saying, what? You know, make it New York. Make it New York. And I was just for a long time. It was like weeks and weeks. I would say, no, no way. I'm, it's L.A. So anyway. I think one day we, we talked about it again and I don't know, I changed my mind. He convinced me. I said, all right, you know, you're right. I mean, there are private detectives in New York. It's feasible. Um, and I just sort of thought maybe I would, but also the pandemic had hit and I was getting, you know, kind of affected. Everything was kind of crazy. And I thought somehow, I don't know, I have to this energy of time. So when I, started writing though what happened was i did have main character private detective but it wound up being kind of a sequel uh of sorts the kind of sequel where you don't have to have seen the first the first one for it to make sense i didn't intend that until i started getting into it and then the way it naturally fell into place was to have that same character but now he's in new york and it's and it is 25 years later 23 years later you know um yeah because i made 1997 was when I made trafficking and you know, it's, it, it would be, he's that much older and, and now he's in New York. And so it's technically a sequel, but you definitely don't have to have seen the first one. Um, if you had certain things would like, like you could see, Oh yeah. To this next one. So anyway, um, but I, I, I did, I did a Joe script. It's just very typical. My sensibility, all these, Things that I you've been talking about, my sensibility, my fingerprints are all over it. It's, it takes place in New York, and it's a very dark and crazy ass. Um, and um, I feel good about it. I haven't even reread it since I've written it, but I almost sense I have a good feeling. And the reason I have a good feeling is because I feel changed. I actually feel like my body actually even feels sort of like, whew, like I, I've just been through something. I'm not kidding. I feel like um uh. I've, I've sort of, uh, you know, gotten something out of my system. I could feel it almost like a whole relaxation thing happening. And that is the best indicator to me that I actually wrote a powerful script more than me rereading it and going, oh, yeah. I mean, I, of course, I remember it. I just wrote it. But but it's almost like this post kind of writing, like, um, state of physical and mental um, uh, suspended animation or something whatever i'm experiencing which is really intense i mean i'm not kidding i'm everyone i've been talking to the last week i'm like oh my god i'm just in this weird head but i know it's because i just finished the script so uh, if that alone makes me feel good i feel like that's a that's a good sign that's a good sign um so i don't know um i uh, i did i did uh, that same friend who it was 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 sort of pushing me wanted to uh, to help me with the crowds he's he's done crowdsourcing you know um and he says you know I, i've always been very skeptical of that i i just and it's amazing to me but i know lots of movies get made that way the script i wrote could be low budget very low budget it's a lot of scenes but there's no one 
scene that is like so exotic or so difficult. There's no French connection, chase scenes, anything incredibly difficult. It's, it's just that there's a lot of scenes, but you know, you just do them all, you know? So anyway, um, I, I, um, I was going to make the crowdsourcing platform is not set up. It's too early. I mean, we haven't been able to kind of coordinate it. Um, I'll leave you, I'll leave, I'll leave my, like my, my words was, um, at least then, you know, people could connect um, if they're interested in when we get it going to be reached out to. Um, you know, um, I've never done this kind of thing before. And um, I don't know, man, in this, in this environment, you know, where this is, where this is happening. But I guess my, my friend feels so confident. So I'm just going by his confidence. I've, I've never, I've never done any sourcing. I would rather have a a solid producer you know what i feel like now i need someone who's super organized like like someone to do a, a script breakdown that would be the first step for me to sort of get my feet back on the planet earth you know what do we have here break it down um that's what i'm looking for really um first um anyway um so anyway anyway that's 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 a story of that script i i i don't know if it's you know it's too soon for me to have any idea of the reality of it getting made i'm going totally on the, the sort of enthusiasm and, re and assurance of this friend who feels who's you know he's an amazing guy he's just you know and, and he's he's done it he just he just made a feature um through this through this just super no budget way and i know i know i know that 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 wrote came that way um it's it, it's but i wasn't even 40 when i when i did trafficking and that broke me i mean oh my god that was hard with no money you know I'm not older now, and so the the prospect of getting out there with no money to make it is daunting. But I I would do it um, if there was a means to do it. I don't. It's just too. I'm I'm not out of the woods yet of it creatively to even know. But um, I don't know if any any producers out there or certainly um, script breakdown people um, got to do things. Six boards. I mean, I like I I even know how to do boards. I, I I did them myself long time ago. But there are people that just that are really good at it and do it naturally. Um, I would love to, to meet up with somebody who, who had that kind of um, expertise or that um, facility with the next step, because I think that's the next step. It's a New York movie. It's a gritty, really original, wild Joe script. It's just nice stuff again. But but I, I, I think this has got a, a very interesting, um, more mature um, aspect to it than anything I've, I've written. Um, it's dark, but it's also wild, and um, it's it's a it's a um, it moves like a motherfucker, and it's uh, definitely has that quality of you don't know what, you don't know, you don't know where this is going, uh, but it's real, you know. I mean, it's real in a kind of um, you know in, a, in, a, in an emotional way, even though it's kind of almost like Fellini Fellini esque, so real too. But you know, I've, I've considered Fellini real too. He's it's like his extension of Italian neorealism, but he just sort of cranked it up. Um, it's called Wooden Ships. Wooden Ships. Okay. When we when we post this, I'll make sure in the description of the podcast we put a link to wherever people could go to find it. Thank. You. Yeah. Yeah. They're not gonna find this. I'm not. I'm not, not putting the script out. Uh, no, 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 no. 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 Uh, would be a link to my site. I could be contacted so my friend and I get it together. Uh, you know, any I don't know if they're really a DP who wants to kind of do a new I don't know just I I'm I'm not really good at this part of just like <laughs> producing but um but whatever put the information out there my my website is open hyphen g dot com 
and go to the contact port. If anyone out there, you know, it's funny. I was, what I, you know, what made me think of doing this? I, do you know that 60 years ago, John Cassavetes raised money for his feature called Shadows, doing um, the podcast then. But it was a radio show. It was Gene Shepard, this radio personality, had John Cassavetes on. And he, he was interviewed and he announced that he wanted to make this movie. And anyone listening, you know, you want to be, you know, help help us help me and my friends make this low budget New York movie. And here it is 60 years later. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm doing that, you know, um, it's a different environment. Um, it's, it's, it's scary out there. I don't, you know, but, um, I don't know. They did open the streets of New York to filmmakers, um, to go again. So people are, people are doing things. They're putting tripods on the street and shooting things. So, um, life goes on. I was going to say, I know we'll, we'll be more than happy to, uh, at least contribute if you guys do wind up doing some sort of some sort of uh, you know crowd funding. Uh, I'd be more than happy to, and I'm sure my uh, my friends here would be the same. Yeah, definitely. That's so sweet of you. Um, of course. Yeah. Again, guys, I don't. I've never done it before, and I don't really know how those things work. My I haven't been able to sit down with. It's going to be two people who are um, who are savvy about that. So that's all I can say at this point. I'll, I'll, it's, it's going so, um, everything's going so fast. And um, my friends have had their own crises. They've got four kids and sickness and, you know, it's, things happen, but we'll get soon. And um, I, I appreciate what you just said. Um, and thank you for inviting me, man. You know, um, yeah. I, uh, yeah. I know you have all these podcasts out there. It's really, uh, you know, quite thank you for to yeah. spend the time to talk to us and giving yeah. us some you know we're not screenwriters so it's 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 wonderful to get like an experience from someone that is there get bend your ear a little bit oh yeah no it was, it was cool I, i'm sorry if I, I sort of rambled here and there but that's just how, how naturally this went you seem to create a space that i could well i could do that so i did yeah, yeah. absolutely so, that's guys, what we were hoping for <laughs> um carry on nice to meet you anthony yeah. yeah. Nice meeting Very you. Good. Pleasure to meet have, you. Have a good rest of the week. You too. To you. Take care. Thanks for thanks for taking the time. See you. My pleasure. Bye bye. Bye. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.